0: Like it or not, we are a culture with, uh, with trust issues. I don't know why, but for some reason we just struggle with the ability to trust the truth. And in this next section, in fact, we are going back. Last week we read through some of these words, but we're going back today to focus in on trust. And maybe before we finish today, you will understand the importance of trusting the truth and only the truth. We have a 2011 Ford Explorer. And Debbie drives it most of the time. I don't drive it that much unless it needs an oil change or unless something's going wrong with it. And then she puts the key, the fob, into my hand so that I can get it taken care of. When I put that car into reverse, a picture of what's behind me comes up on a little screen on our dash. You know what I'm talking about? And it helps me back up. However, I have a hard time backing up that way because I'm used to looking at mirrors and to turn around and looking behind me. I have a hard time trusting the screen. And Debbie says, Jerry, just trust the screen. And I'm like, Debbie, no, I'll just back up the way I want to back up. I have a hard time trusting that that device. And what is it about our world that, that we struggle with trust? Even when someone who is close to us tells us something of magnitude, we say things like, Nuh-uh! Oh, I don't believe that. I'll believe it when what? When I see it. We, we have an issue of trust, and it kind of comes back to haunt us. And Our culture has a problem with trusting this truth. In America, those who think the Bible is just another book of teachings, written by men containing stories and advice, 11% of America believe that this is just a book of stories and advice written by men. In America, 50% 50 thinks that this Bible has no errors. That means 50% feel like it is a book full of errors. In America, if you are in the age of 18 to 25, only 30% of you think that this Bible is accurate. If you are in the ages of 26 to 44, 39% think that this Bible is accurate and full of truth. If you are 45 to 63, 60 or 46% feel like this is Bible is true and accurate. If you are 65 and older, 58% of you think that this is true and accurate. So we're kind of Goofed up coming right out of the blocks, aren't we? On what's really true and what's not so much. And the Bible is full of false hope. Or not the Bible, I guess the world is full of false hope, and the Bible is full of real hope. And, you know, the Word of God has come to be the knot at the end of a lot of people's rope. Have you ever been the knot of someone's rope at the end? In my line of work, I'm that. A lot of times I have people calling me up many times, all times of the day and night and anxious about something in their life and I have become the knot at the end of their rope. And hopefully this book allows me to share with them truth and advice and wisdom that comes from God himself. So today what I would like you to focus in on is just basically trusting the truth. I want to read this passage for you today and then we'll begin to uh, uh, to unload things from it. Verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously, without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all that he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to Take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom uh, uh, falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. The words that I want us to focus in on this morning has to do with asking God for wisdom. Being smart enough, being wise enough to go to the right place to find our answers, and we have a tendency not to do that very often. God gives wisdom, the Bible says, generously, and that's where we ought to go first. But we have a tendency to do surface things and deal with the important things last, I'm afraid to turn around this morning because the first time I did this first service, there was nothing behind me. We had a demon in our computer. I think the demon is gone now, so I'm going to turn around to show you this picture. It's great when things work. I love it when a plan comes together. This is a sailboat. guy on the East Coast made this thing. He had retired and he had joined a, 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 a sailing club. And he was going to build his own sailboat, and he spent a great deal of time on um, everything above the waterline. I mean, it looked pretty sweet, and people oohed and aahed about it. And when he was getting ready to sail and to cast off, the boat didn't go too far before it began to sink. He hadn't spent a whole lot of time on the bottom, and he forgot to do some pretty essential things. And the boat began to fill with water, and it soon sank. And here's what his friends said about him. Only a fool would design a boat like this, let alone sail it. A man who builds above the waterline does not realize that he has built less than half a boat. And I know that we have some boating people in the audience today. And you know what it takes to float your boat. And you know what it takes... To sink that boat and a lot of times in the church we do things kind of half baked ourselves if I could use that phraseology we kind of do church half baked our commitment is kind of half baked and before we know it our whole spiritual walk is a little bit out of sorts anybody recognize this card the American Express card I don't have one of those. Anybody have an American Express card? A few people. Okay, here's your moment to shine, okay? The model for the American Express card is what? We all know the model, but nobody has the card. You know? Don't leave home without it. Always take it with you wherever you go because you can trust the card. You can have hope in the card. James is basically telling that early church your faith is important to you. You should never leave home without it. You should always walk and talk that way. That should be the foundation of who you are. That's where it starts today. And If I could share with you three reasons why we need to seek wisdom from above, here's where I would start this morning. God leads us into the light, not the darkness. I mean, that's his plan. We are called children of the light, and we are pushed by God, by his influence, not to dwell in the darkness, but to be people of the light. In Isaiah 42, these words, here's his promise. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Among unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. You see, the problem with most people spiritually, they try to keep one foot in the darkness and one foot in the light. And James tells us from godly wisdom, that's not the way to do life. You're either in the light or you're in the darkness. You can't quite ride the fence. You're either for me or against me. That's the way the Bible begins to uh, uh, push itself. You can't serve two masters. People of the light are comfortable in the light. People in the darkness, not so much. So i got to ask you today, where do you place your trust? We all trust things, don't we? Anybody here have a hot water heater? Microphone not working over here, I'm going to go over here. Anybody here have hot water here? Okay, we got them over here. You guys must love cold water. Ours went out a few months ago, and we had a new one put in, and I was excited about this new one because it was bigger than our old one. It could hold more warm water. So when the kids come home, when family comes home, we don't run out of hot water anymore. We have enough for everyone to bathe properly, and that's a good thing. Yesterday morning, it was early. Debbie was up way early. I think she was trying to get a head start on this Set your clock up thing. She wanted to wear herself out so that she could go to bed at a decent hour. and I heard this noise. It was about 5:30, and I heard this noise. I figure she's doing laundry, and the washing machine is out of balance. Some of you guys have no idea what I'm talking about. Ladies, you do. It was making that noise. It was just thumping and thumping and thumping. and she, I, <laughs> then I hear, "Jerry, I need you." I'm like, "What? I need you now." So I got up and slowly made my way to the kitchen, went into the laundry room. It was fine, opened the garage door. And you know those hoses that attach your water heater to your house? One of those had come loose and it was just doing this. It was like a snake shooting water everywhere. I mean, everywhere. She says, What do we do? And I said, Turn the water off. And she says, I don't know how. And I said, Watch me. It was a nightmare for a, mo- a few moments, man. I was like covered in stuff our cars were washed in the garage everything that was dry in the garage was wet at 5 30 in the morning we are backing our cars out of the driveway out of the garage and pushing water out of the garage and i'm thinking i need to call my friend and debbie said it's 5 30 wait and you know me i don't like to wait much i'm not a patient person so we decided we couldn't really do much breakfast. We didn't have any water, so let's go out to eat. So we went out to eat, and my friend called me after I called him about seven and left him a message. He called me about eight and said, hey, what's up? I told him, and he thought it was kind of funny. My wife thought it was kind of funny. I wasn't laughing. About 10, we were back in the swing of things. Those hoses are gone, and now I have soldered copper fittings that will probably last A year or two, and then I I was glad we were home, and I was glad that our hot water heater was in the garage. Right now, where is your hot water heater? Was everything fine when you left home this morning? And we are trusting that when we get back home, everything will be fine. So we understand trust, don't we? That's kind of part of who we are, and we'll drive home from here today, and we will trust that the person coming toward us will stay on their side of the loan. We will, road. We will trust that that would happen. Sometimes it do, sometimes it do not. So understand, when it comes to this whole trust thing, the first thing that we need to understand is that God has a plan for us, and he has wisdom that he wants to share with us, and this wisdom comes from his godly process, and he just wants us to ask, when you were a kid, anybody here grow up watching Red Skelton? Remember that guy? I mean, he cracked me up. And you know, back in the day, and you know, at that time, I had no idea that he was from Vincennes, Indiana. Who would have thought? But he would crack me up. There was one sketch I'll never forget. He, he's kind of dressed up the way he usually was, kind of shabby, had one of those goofy hats on, and he was making all those goofy faces. And he was by a light pole. And he was looking for something. In the sketch, a policeman comes in and says, hey, what you doing? And he says, I lost my car keys. I can't find them. I can't go home till I find my keys. And the policeman said, well, let me help you hunt. And they were looking around this light pole. And finally, the policeman said, is this where you lost them? He goes, no, I lost them over there. He said, why are you looking here? And he said, because the light is here, Not there. When I was a kid, I thought that was the funniest thing in the world. Why would he look for something if that's not where he lost it? You know, Who would do that kind of thing? In the church, we do a lot of things just like that. We look for answers in places we're not going to find them. We look in all the wrong places to find all the right answers, and it just doesn't tend to work that way. It's because we don't trust the truth. God's wisdom leads to the light, not the darkness. It helps us do the right thing, and that's the second piece of the puzzle here. God's wisdom leads us to do the right thing. This story cracks me up. This is a temple in Japan. It's called the Temple of the Thousand Buddhas. And evidently, you can go to this temple in Japan and you can find any Buddha that you want to and you can worship that Buddha. The people who drive this temple say that most people come and they try to find a Buddha that looks like them. And that's what they lock into, that's where they focus. I have no idea what you would look like as a Buddha. You may want to take about three seconds, close your eyes, and imagine that. But that's what people begin to worship. And when I hear that, I think, man, that's got to be the craziest thing in the world, but we tend to do the same thing. We kind of worship the way we want to, and we are committed as much as we choose to be, dedicated to a certain point, but not over, over the top, and we tend to want to do church our way. Sometimes we like the music, sometimes not so much. Sometimes we like what we hear, sometimes not so much. We all like to do church kind of on our own terms. That's the way we operate. Godly wisdom leads us not to compromise, not to an attitude of convenience, but it pushes us to a place where we understand God's hand and his leading in our life. And it causes us to do the right the right thing. Debbie and I are leaving right after church today. We got a call this week from Andy, and they're doing a baby dedication over in New Albany. Their little guy's probably seven months, eight months, nine months. He's getting older. Nine months old, he's a little bitty guy, and they're doing a baby dedication, and they called us to see if we could come over to do this thing. And um, I I asked him what time it was, and he said it's 3 o'clock. Well, that's 2 o'clock our time. I said, Andy, I'm going to have a hard time doing that. He says, Dad, you drive fast. So we're having sack lunches for lunch today. Anybody here like really into sack lunches? I mean, when I was a kid, I packed the lunch to go to school. That was kind of a big thing. Have you ever had a good sack lunch? I mean, I've had a few good sack lunches, and um, I'm just amazed at what can happen with a sack lunch. I read about a guy who was flying from the West Coast to the East Coast, and when he uh, got on the plane, he made his way to a seat. He put his luggage in the overhead compartment. He sat down in a spot. And right before the plane took off, about 10 soldiers came in and filled the empty seats. A couple of them sat by him, and he was talking to them as they started to taxi out. And they said they were going to a, a base on the East Coast. They'd be there for two weeks for special force training, and then they would be uh, making their way to Afghanistan and they talked a little bit, and he started to read his book, and he had one of those blow-up pillow things, you know what I'm talking about? Blow it up, put it around your neck, and just lay back and let it all happen, and, and, and then over, the, they were in, in there for about an hour, and over the intercom, one of the stewards says, if, um, if uh, you know, for your pleasure, this is a long flight, and we know you are probably hungry, for $5, uh, we will offer a sack lunch for your pleasure, and that's all they said, and he thought, man, I'm hungry. I'm going to get me one of those. And he listened to some of the soldier guys around him, and they said, hey, you going to get a sack lunch? And they were talking back and forth. And one of the guys said, nah, it's probably not, no, five bucks is probably not worth much anyhow. And, you know, sometimes sack lunches are. Sometimes they're not. Protein bar for lunch today, that's not very exciting, is it? I mean, seriously? Not so much. Um, bananas are kind of fun. I mean, you know, everybody likes bananas, and kind of fun to peel, and you're driving, you might be chuck them out the window when you're done, you know, and they taste pretty good too. But you know, it's a banana, it's not that much fun, you know, it's banana. Ding-dongs on this is fun. Now we're talking some fun, you know, this, that could put me over the edge So when this man heard the soldiers talking, he got up and went to the back of the plane, and he found a stewardess and said, hey, here's 50 bucks. I want to buy sack lunches for these 10 guys. And she kind of just squeezed his arm. She she started to tear up, and she said, you know, I I got a son in Iraq, and this means a lot to me. And they delivered the lunches and The stewardess came up to him and said, you want chicken or beef? And he goes, well, I'll take chicken, why? Well, she brought him a tray from first class. And she said, you know, we just want to say thank you for what you've done. Kind gesture for these these young men. And then it was kind of weird because the captain, the pilot of the plane, began walking back through the plane. He thought, this is weird. (laughs) Who's, Who's flying the plane, you know? And he he was hoping it wasn't going to stop at him, but he was kind of looking at the numbers of the seats, and he gets right by his seat, and he goes, sir, I want to shake your hand. So he unbuckled a seatbelt, and he said, I used to be a military pilot. Somebody bought my lunch one time, and I'll never forget that. What you have done is a nice thing. And the whole plane begins to applaud him, and he was embarrassed. He sat down and thought it was over, and he Got up to stretch his leg, walked up to the front of the plane, and one of those guys that, that that was sitting there gave him one of those handshakes. You know what I'm talking about? It's kind of like whenever I shake hands with my dad, sometimes there's money in there. One of those kind of and the the guy said, Hey, I appreciate what you do. I want to be a part of that. And he he kind of slipped him some money. It was like twenty-five bucks. Right before the landed, a couple other people came up next to him, and before long he had 100 dollars. And then as he was unloading from the plane. He got to the terminal and the 10 soldiers were there and they just wanted to thank him for his kindness. And he said, you know, I, I appreciate so much what you do for our country and for your service. And you know, I have another 100 bucks here. I know you guys are hungry. Are you going to go eat some military food? Not very good. So maybe a burger and fries would help you down the road. And they thanked him and he made his way to his car and he prayed that God would protect them from harm, that he would watch over them while they served. And as I read the story, I thought, did that guy do the right thing? Do this. Yeah, I think he did. That's kind of cool. Kind of cool thing to do. And maybe the next time we're out and about and we see somebody who maybe who could, could, could use a little bit of help, maybe just doing the right thing for them might push them to a happier Place because God's wisdom doesn't just take us from the darkness to the light, but it also helps us do the right thing and make the right choices. Have you ever felt the hand of God on you, maybe encouraging you to do something you're not very comfortable doing, but you know it is the right thing to do? One more thing the Bible teaches in this passage, or what I want you to understand, is the difficulties that come with with our life, with our world. The fact is six point four million Americans are addicted to drugs. They're not just kind of users, they are addicted to drugs, 6.4 million. Nearly one half of all U.S. college students are binge drinkers. Kids go away to school, and they're away from mom and dad for the first time, and all kinds of things begin to be introduced to them. They don't know exactly what to trust or who to trust anymore, but half of all the students are binge drinkers, and half of that number never survive that. They become alcoholics. Juvenile arrests for violent crimes are on the increase in America. You know what I've never been able to understand? Why does it take a tragedy for us to be able to pray in school anymore? You know, take some kind of catastrophic event, and then we call on people to pray, don't we? Why in the world don't we start praying before it happens? I just never have gotten through that. 89% of people in America feel that our world is getting worse. There's a lot of people in the dark out there. And there are few, fewer in the light. And I encourage you to allow the wisdom of God to keep you in the light and out of the darkness. I encourage you to allow the wisdom of God to help you do the right thing. And also, we must seek God's wisdom when determining new direction for our lives. James is pretty clear. We we lack wisdom, but God doesn't. And if there's ever a new direction, a different place to turn, we are encouraged by God to do it his his way. God's wisdom leads to light, not darkness. It leads to the right, not the wrong. It helps us develop a new direction for our life. We need to learn to be faithful. Walkers, not just faith talkers, a lot of people know a lot about the Bible. Fewer people live what the Bible says. This story is a little disturbing to me. In just a few minutes in Armenia, 30,000 people died in an earthquake. In just minutes, 30,000. There was one dad who went to the school to find his son. The school was in rubble. And he began, he searched for 39 hours to find his boy. And at that 39-hour time frame, he pulled a boulder away, and he called out his son's name, and his son answered him. And his son said, basically, Dad, I knew you would come. I knew you would find me. And I told all my friends here, if you saved me, you would save them too. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we are told that Jesus rose from the dead and when he comes back those who are followers of Jesus they will rise too and those who have not fallen they will be taken up to meet him in the sky trust the truth the truth the Bible says will set you free